Welcome to Off the Cuff with Congressman Jared Huffman. As a representative for California's 2nd Congressional District, Off the Cuff is my opportunity to talk with you about important issues and to introduce you to interesting people from the 2nd District and beyond. It's unfiltered, it's direct, and it's honest. It's Off the Cuff with me, Congressman Jared Huffman. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm Jared Huffman, and my guest today is Lindsay Leyland, who comes to us all the way from Dillingham, Alaska. Today, we are going to talk about salmon and about Bristol Bay and about a huge hard rock mining project called the Pebble Mine. So uh, let us start by trying to explain to people why, if you're not an Alaskan in the Bristol Bay watershed, why you should care about Bristol Bay um, because it's a pretty special place. Lindsay, yeah. welcome. Tell us about Bristol Bay. Yeah, well, first, thanks so much for, for having me here and having the chance to kind of share this message with folks because it's a really important one. Um, but I guess, you know, to uh, there's a lot of reasons why people across the country and the na- I mean across the world, really, um, should care about Bristol Bay. And it's because we are the crown jewel, the... The, you know the the elite of elite when it comes to salmon and salmon habitat um, and salmon production and harvest um, for the for the world it's actually it's the world's greatest wild sockeye salmon fishery um, and just produces these amazing abundant renewable you know healthy food source for people across the globe um, so that's why I mean in a nutshell that's why people should care about it but of course there's lots of other you know environmental re- environmental reasons why this is a critical issue mm-hmm. and tribal reasons why this is a critical issue and um, you know business and economics and so many pieces of the puzzle that bring Bristol Bay um, you know to the to the peak of importance yeah yeah so just to, to set the context a little more I have uh, we, we love our salmon rivers yeah, in California right. I represent most of the remaining salmon mm-hmm. rivers in California mm-hmm. in part because we've really screwed a lot of places up mm-hmm. uh, starting with the gold rush and all the dam building and all the things mm-hmm. that we've done in the state of California we're playing catch up and right. trying to restore and recover right. salmon populations in, in most of our creeks and rivers mm-hmm. um, and, and it's tough and we've, we value what we've been able to hang on to but yeah. it, it's tough yeah. Bristol Bay is a place where we haven't screwed it up we haven't and that's why it is so successful and we have these amazing, you know, salmon returns. It's because for the most part, it's undeveloped, right? It is pristine, clean and clear lands and waters that um, that really just, they haven't been polluted. They haven't been walked on and stepped over and bridged and dammed. Um, they just, they, yeah, they're, they're this it's the most pristine habitat on the planet it's incredible all right and so that's part of what i wanted to ask yeah. you about it's a pretty wild place it it's is. pretty undeveloped mm-hmm. yeah um now the other just to give people a sense of scale mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about it being one of the world's actually the world's best salmon stronghold yeah um, can you give people a, a sense of how many salmon we're talking about yeah. and how big this resource really is? Right, and it's really hard for folks who don't have a concept of this area and this region to understand. But just as far as numbers go, you know, for example, the last two summer salmon seasons, which I participate in, I'm a commercial fisherman um, in Bristol Bay, but the last two salmon seasons we've had record-breaking runs, um, 55 and 60 million fish. <laughs> have returned 
to these river systems. That's just a, a number that's hard to get your head around. Right, and it happens in a six-week period, right? Like, it's just incredible. 60 million fish um, have come through in just a couple months. It's amazing. Remarkable. Yeah. Uh, t- tell us a little more about uh, the, the industries and the jobs and the communities that this yeah. supports. Um, you know, it, it really supports a pretty wide range. It's not just the fishermen, right, that are supported by this um, economy, by this fishing business. Um, over, I think, close to fourteen or 15,000 jobs annually are created simply because of the Bristol Bay fishery. We have the fishermen, but we also have the processors and the people who are working the processing, the slime lines, they call it. Um, we've got the grocery store and the restaurants and the other business owners who are able to, you know, who buy and then resell and value-added product, these wild salmon. So it's really a long chain that these fish end up traveling down before they get to consumers' mouths. Um, and that happens, of course, across the planet. So um, it's a really big economic driver, a huge job and, you know, industry force. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and lest we forget uh, all of the ecosystem services right. that a, a salmon run like this provides, right. you've got right. an entire food chain and an, an entire watershed ecosystem that depends on yeah. this amazing phenomenon absolutely right? yeah and you remind me too i mean in addition to what i'm talking about the commercial fishery is the sport fishery right, right? is like the the tourism aspect of this place is incredible too so that's big money of, for yeah Alaska. it's mm-hmm. huge money yeah it's a big I mean, deal I, i'm a fisherman and yeah. i i happen to know that my fellow anglers uh, we, we drop a lot of dough when right. we when we roll into right. town and for, yeah. pay our guides yeah. and <laughs> take our float planes exactly exactly yeah all right. But uh, beyond that, mm-hmm. um, you, you've got marine nutrients that are coming up into the watershed mm-hmm. to provide all sorts of ecosystem services right. out uh, in the ocean. You've got orca whales and other uh, critters yeah, that uh, depend on this Such abundance. a diverse ecosystem because of the health of these waters. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, talk about the way of life uh, for yeah. the native uh, indigenous people of yeah. the Bristol Bay watershed. Right, and that's another really, really critical piece of this. You know, and I work for a tribal government consortium. I work for a group of tribes whose livelihoods depend on these clean lands and waters. Right, I, I work and I. Um, work for the people who whose families um, and ancestors for decades, for centuries, for generations um, have survived and, and thrived really off of these salmon runs. That is their primary food source. Um, of course, you know, there's a lot of other subsistence activities and hunting and other sorts of fishing and berry picking, um, but the salmon are the critical piece of that culture. And so for the Yupik and Alutik and Dene'ini people of Southwest Alaska, um, there's really no simple way to explain or define or describe how absolutely vital the clean lands and the clean waters and the salmon are to that culture and to that way of life. So we have several things in common you may mm-hmm. not know, but I'm co-chair of the Wild Salmon Caucus mm-hmm. uh, in, in the Congress. Yeah. My other co-chair is, is Don Young, mm-hmm. so uh, we try to work together on salmon when we're not like fighting <laughs> with each other right, and other things, right. uh, but it's, it's a good partnership uh, yeah. in many ways. Uh, but I also have the second most Native American tribes of any member of Congress. Uh, Don Young has the most, the most, right? right? right. Sure. So Alaska has the most, but my district um, has a lot. Yeah, and, uh, so you can relate to this I can relate, and I, I am yeah. very aware of what it means when a tribe that is deeply connected uh, in terms of their way of life to the salmon resource when they lose that. And Mm -hmm. so the Yurok tribe on the Klamath River, for example, Mm -hmm. um, has has a similar connection uh, to the tribes of Bristol Bay. 
and we've had terrible salmon years. Right. Uh, we've had all kinds of water quality problems and disease outbreaks on the Klamath, and they've had to shut down their tribal fishery entirely. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard from them mm-hmm. about what that does to youth unemployment and even depression right. and suicide. Right. Um, how can we uh, help listeners understand that this is more than just something that can be monetized? Right. Right. Well, that's a really important question, um, and it's challenging to 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 get that message across, right? Because people do see that, like the value of the fishery um, when it comes to dollars and cents. But um, you know, I think that there is actually quite an abundant bit of research out there and documentation that really dives into the culture and the history. And so, any opportunity that folks might have to really educate themselves about what, you know, the indigenous peoples of these lands and areas and regions have gone through um, and what they've done, you know, what what buildings they've created and what communities they've developed, um, you know, just with their bare hands to build these lives. Um, if people can understand that and learn about it and then maybe start to piece together really how critical this environment is for that culture, right? Yeah, so we've talked about the importance ecologically, right. commercially, uh, environmentally of uh, Bristol Bay. Yeah. And it's a place with 30% of the world's sockeye salmon, a place we haven't yet screwed up. Why are we worried about Bristol Bay right now? <laughs> well, as you mentioned in the beginning, we've got this the threat of this proposed mine, right? One of the world's largest open pit mine uh, is being proposed at the headwaters of Bristol Bay, at the headwaters of all of these amazing intricate intricate uh, water systems, um, they're planning to build a massive, massive dam um, to hold all the toxic mining waste back, uh, which I think it's over seven stories tall or something like that, um, an earthen dam that when you, know, when, you, when you look at it and you realize that dams fail and they have in the past and they will in the future um, and humans make mistakes that the, this mine um, and the tailings and bankman and dam that they are proposing and the infrastructure that they're proposing to implement in this pristine watershed um, is, is just devastating. Yeah. Very, so, very scary. So this mine uh, would extract uh, for some number of years mm-hmm. uh, gold and other yeah. valuable metals, yeah. minerals. Yeah. Um, the the uh, the price of that, though, is sort of the environmental damage that we associate with hard rock mining. Right, right. right. Yeah. So uh, this this uh, assurance that we're getting that this can all be done safely, let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. Yeah. We are talking about what I think would have been the largest earthen dam in the world at one point. Mm-hmm. Now they, they've kind of they've scaled. revised their plans. Yeah, yeah. And they've said it's like half as big, and therefore it's nothing to right. worry it's, about. It's quote unquote safe. But we're still talking about an earthen dam that is as big as like Hoover yeah. Dam and yeah. a bunch of other dams that... Yeah, a man-made earthen dam. And you, you brought up a good point that the assurances that the mining companies are telling us um, are really kind of just vacant, vacant words because they tell us this will last, they, the term they use is in perpetuity, right? They say yeah. this will stay here in perpetuity, which means forever. And we really can't have a concept of what that means, of what forever means. I mean, over the course of history, for for the rest of anybody's lives, forever and ever and ever, they're going to 
100% guarantee that no failures are going to happen, it's just not possible. Isn't Alaska an active seismic zone with earthquakes yeah. and volcanoes and things that can make those right. forever promises right. sound pretty flimsy? Yeah, and we're actually coming up on the one-year anniversary of, I think we had a 7.1 last year in Anchorage, which isn't very far from the mine site. Yeah, um, you know, well, we saw the footage. It buckled yeah. roadways. Oh, it it was did incredible. all sorts of damage. And that was just a year ago, and the, and the Pebble Company is, is just... They're so confident that there aren't going to be any earthquakes in the region. You know what? It's just a, it's it's really arrogant. I think the way they're approaching this. Yeah. Now, under the Obama administration, mm-hmm. there was a, a very comprehensive and exhaustive peer-reviewed environmental analysis mm-hmm. that kind of confirmed what many of us, at an intuitive level, would conclude. Right. That this is the wrong mine in the wrong place, yeah. and it's just fatally flawed. Talk about that. Yeah, and so that was the Bristol Bay Watershed Assessment. And like you said, it was a multi-year, peer-reviewed, scientifically-based study um, that came out. And it actually didn't say, you know, no mine can ever be built here. But it said, if there were to be a mine built, here's the parameters that would have to be in place. Um, and everything that Pebble has ever proposed is wildly larger and more expansive than, than those, you know, kind of parameters. So, um, and it's, what's really frustrating too, is that Pebble project is saying, we shouldn't consider that assessment anymore. We shouldn't look at it because, you know, it's, it's old and it's, you know, it, it was actually a pretty strong, a very strong document with years of research, um, that, that really went into depth and looked at, you know, the, the entirety of the watershed and not just this one little piece that we're, that Pebble Project is talking about mm-hmm. and thinking of mining, you know, it's, it's pretty comprehensive. Well, and, and that environmental review also had everybody at the table fully mm-hmm. engaged. It right? did, yeah. So yeah. what's different this time around? The Trump administration, just when we thought the Pebble mine was dead, mm-hmm. um, you know, like a zombie, uh, it's back under the Trump administration. Right. It's been repackaged by the Pebble Partnership. They claim it's smaller and... Right. Uh, believe it or not, at a, at a hearing uh, before the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, mm-hmm. which I sit on, uh, their uh, president, I believe, uh, Tom Collier, um, actually said it'll be really good for salmon. Right. right. <laughs> I giggled to myself when I when I watched that, actually, because I, I don't quite understand now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, and it's... Uh, um, you know, again, some of the things that Pebble is claiming is really frustrating for people on the ground and for locals in the region to hear because because people in Southwest Alaska they know their lands and their waters and they know what creates healthy salmon and what leads you know what's good for the fish, um, and it's it's not infrastructure and roads and bridges and trucks and ferries and an open pit mine. That's well, right. I want to get to oh, that gosh. because part of this that, that he, he didn't talk so much about, mm. but when you, when you drill in, it's more than just this mine. Right. Um, right. The fact is there's, there's probably a lot of valuable minerals uh, in the wild watersheds of Bristol Bay, mm. but nobody can get at them right now because there aren't the elaborate road networks and exactly. power transmission lines and ports exactly. and other infrastructure, mm-hmm. um, all of that is going to be built out for this Pebble mine, right? Right, right. Yeah, there is no access. I mean, right now, the way that Pebble even conducts their exploration activity is with a helicopter, right? They fly in, they land on their pad, and they fly out because there are no roads. There are no even like airstrips up at the, the site. You know, there are in some nearby villages, but um, you can't get there in, in a boat. You couldn't traverse the rivers like the way the salmon do in a boat. You couldn't do it... Um, you know, there's no vehicle access, so so it's a pretty remote place. Yeah, how would that change if, if yeah. this project is approved? It would 
drastically change um, not only the landscape but the culture of the region it would become a mining district right and and that's just not what we want to see if the pebble mine were to be built um, it wouldn't bring just a mine but it would bring like we like we mentioned it would bring hundreds of miles of roads it would bring a pipeline it would bring a they're proposing a ferry system to run across the largest freshwater lake it, it, it's insane. The amount of infrastructure that this project would bring would allow other companies to have much, you know, a, like a, a environment or a, excuse me, an economically reduced um, foot in the door, right? They'd be able to get in without investing in this massive infrastructure that Pebble has already done. Right. So it really allows um, this this area, this region to become a mining landscape. So the Pebble mine itself mm-hmm. uh, is being sold on this on these promises of permanent containment of yeah. toxic material, things that, that I think we should be naturally suspicious of, mm-hmm. but it's more than just the pebble mine because once this footprint is there, mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden we're open for business for all sorts of other mining projects in the world's greatest salmon stronghold, right? That's right, that's right. And also, you know, Pebble's proposing a 20-year mine plan, but like we say, once they get their foot in the door, uh, it's more likely, in fact, that if they actually want to make money on the on the resources, that they'd have to extend that to another 40 or 50 or 60 years. Um, so there's no short-term timeline insight in our reality. Yeah, there were some... So when we had this hearing, and I think this was yeah. the first serious legislative hearing we've ever had on the Pebble Mine. This was a, a, about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Collier had a hard time uh, explaining how his... Uh, seemingly uncapitalized partnership uh, was going to actually make money on, right. on this thing. Right. Well, and that's another challenge is they haven't actually produced an economic feasibility report. They haven't actually proven to the people of Alaska, to the investors across the world, that this mine would make any money. Right. And major mining companies that actually, Rio Tinto, I think, mm-hmm. and others mm-hmm. uh, have turned away and abandoned yeah. mm-hmm. this because they don't think it pencils out yeah. at, in its reduced size. Yeah. There have been several major mining companies who've away yeah so the concern is they're trying to sell what's advertised as a downsized smaller project mm-hmm. uh, as a way to get the foot in the door and then make their money by expanding and doing more once all of this infrastructure and permitting is in place yeah. is that fair to yeah. say yeah no it is and what we've seen too is you know Tom Collier and the Pebble Partnership, they tell people like you, legislators, and they tell Alaskans, they say it's going to be a small project. It's just a, it's just a start. Yeah. And then they go to their investor meetings in Canada and they say, it's the world's largest mineral deposit worth billions and billions of dollars. We'd never let that yeah. go, go untapped. So it's, yeah, it's kind of out of one side of the mouth and out of the other with who yeah. you're talking to. Well, Mr. Collier uh, did impress me as a world-class uh, promoter. Mm. Uh, he he definitely mm-hmm. can make a yeah, pitch, and yeah. you know would even have us believe that mm-hmm. uh, his years spent in the Interior Department make right. him, make him a great environmental steward. Right, right. Uh, he didn't mention though that his former boss Bruce Babbitt opposes the Pebble Mine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, a, a a good handful of former EPA uh, and other Department DOI administrators have have all come out opposing this project. And this time around, under the Trump administration's much narrower environmental review, mm-hmm. um, you don't even have 
the National Marine Fisheries Service, NOAA Fisheries, reviewing them. Right. They're just taking a pass. They're not even looking at it. Right. There are some critical agencies that you would think and expect to be what we call cooperating agencies, right? Being able to really engage in a meaningful way with this permitting process um, that simply aren't at the table. And yet, the, the main argument we hear from Mr. Collier, from my friend Don Young, and mm-hmm. from others is trust the process. Mm-hmm. You know, you enviros, you're always talking about NEPA as the holy grail. Well, mm-hmm. we're, in, we're in a NEPA process. Right. Let it run. Right. Trust the process. Why is that uh, a little bit hard to swallow yeah. given the way this process is rolling well, out? Well, for one, I think it's what's most important to highlight is the timeline that's being proposed for this project. Um, We all understand that when a process like this moves forward, it needs to be thoroughly reviewed and vetted and based on science. But what we're seeing is a fast-tracked, rushed process because we're on a timeline with the Trump administration potentially leaving office in a year. So what I think the Pebble Partnership is doing, and they after years of touting that they would submit a permit application, um, they did so immediately after the Trump administration entered the White House. Um, They have this agenda to get things done and to reach a record of decision um, by spring of 2020 because that's his last year in office. So it's a really condensed, rushed process and it would be the fastest NEPA permitting process um, in the history of NEPA for a project of this size. Yeah, and it's not like... This is a simple project that can be right. quick, quickly permitted. Right. It's right? one that should take a, a decade at least yeah. to really examine and make sure that it would, has the proper environmental review. Now, there might be another explanation for why Mr. Collier is in such a red-hot <laughs> hurry to permit this project. Tell us about that. Well, and I think your, your committee actually touched on this um, at the hearing a month ago, and that's because he, he is going to get a lot of money. He's going to receive a pretty big paycheck. Um, the moment that if they do that Pebble receives their record of decision I think it's 12 million dollars is Tom Collier's personal bonus for the Pebble partnership receiving a positive record of decision a permit from the Army Corps of Engineers after just a few years in permitting and I don't remember the exact number. It was multi-millions, multi but he admitted to it yeah. in oh, the hearing. He did, yep. That yep. he literally has a bonus contingent on a fast-track mm-hmm. permit for Receiving this project. Receiving a permit by a certain date, yeah. Pretty pretty scary that that's the main motivator for, for him to develop this. Model. Well, and a pretty remarkable conflict of interest yeah. for the guy that is, is saying, trust us, yeah. you know, we'll permanently take care of all the toxic tailings, mm-hmm. and there's nothing that could ever go mm-hmm. wrong yeah. if you'll just hurry up and, and help me get right. my bonus. Right, right. I'm curious to see his involvement in the next 15 years after after this goes through. Yeah. <laughs> well, fascinating. Is there anything else about Bristol Bay or the Pebble Mine that, that we haven't uh, fleshed out here? You know, I think we've covered quite a bit. Um, I would just, of course, encourage your listeners to make sure that they are buying and consuming and demanding wild Alaska salmon because that helps keep our region, you know, a need for our region to keep producing what it does, um, and to stay involved, right. if that's what we could Make do sure to buy the Wild California Salmon, too. And the Wild California okay. Salmon, of course. But, but of the course. Alaska Salmon's not bad. It's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll have a taste test after okay. this. We may see. have yeah. to. Uh, it's all great stuff, and yeah. it supports... Uh, uh, it supports people right. uh, and right. communities that yeah. uh, depend on a sustainable, renewable resource if we manage it well. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So what else can um, people do? Because yeah. you'd be surprised, well, you may not be surprised at how much support there is yeah. 
for salmon and for Bristol Bay and for stopping the pebble mine mm -hmm. uh, in my mm -hmm. district and frankly all over this country. People, when they hear about it, they get it. Yeah. They're yeah. like, this is, we, we've done so many bad things to the environment and to right. salmon. Right. Let's not do this. Yeah. What can we do to stop it? Well, there's a couple different things that I think folks can do to participate. And one is, um, you know, to kind of just try and follow it and stay aware. We do come across comment periods every once in a while and we won't see any public, any more public comment periods in the NEPA, uh, comment periods in the NEPA process. Um, but that doesn't mean they won't come further down the line with perhaps the EPA or other areas. Um, the other is to contact your legislators like you, right? We all know that, you know, the power of the people can, mm -hmm. uh, in the long run at times, be really effective. So so encouraging your elected officials to have a voice on the, na on the statewide and national stage to say, this is not just an Alaska issue. This is a nationwide, this is an international, but this is a nationwide issue um, that if we all work together to ensure that we're you know, either voting on bills or pushing legislation through or whatever it might be to protect these lands and waters and the people who depend on them, um, that you know, maybe we'll start to inch toward the right move. So I would just encourage folks to, as always, to stay involved and, and reach out and speak up when they can. Great. Is there any hope? Uh, I noted that recently one of Alaska's United States senators uh, took a little bit of a different interest yeah, in this. Yeah, it's, it's actually really encouraging to see um, Lisa Murkowski, our senior senator, has lately, you know, she's kind of made some statements that really address her frustration that the tribes of the region are seeing with their consultation with the Army Corps. Um, so she she has made some strong statements to say, you know, we need to really reevaluate and make sure that if we do this, we do this right instead of, you know, just a kind of a neutral standoffish right. position on it. Yeah. So uh, unlike some of the other members of the delegation yeah. that have looked at what is obviously a compromised, corrupted process mm -hmm. and said, let's trust the process, mm -hmm. Lisa Murkowski is actually starting to ask some hard questions. She is, yeah. She's recognizing that the process that's taking place right now isn't actually going as the way it should be. So, that's great. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, thank you for a great conversation. I hope we have uh, educated a few new people, maybe even some potential yeah. advocates and supporters about the Pebble Mine. Yeah. And uh, I look forward to continuing to work with you on this. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for having me. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's so great to be here and to share this message. So we're really grateful. All right. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, thank you too. Bye-bye. Well, that was a great conversation about Bristol Bay. We're going to close out this podcast with uh, a little a uh, quick profile of our interns. I am fortunate to have interns continuously uh, here in my congressional team. Uh, over the summer, of course, we get a whole bunch of them, but even during the school year, like right now, uh, we have smart young people that uh, spend a little bit of time with us every day. I've got three of them in my office right now. I'm gonna ask them to introduce themselves, and then I'm gonna give them a chance to ask me a question about anything, okay? so. Um, who wants to go first? My name is Henry Tolshard uh, from UC Berkeley. Uh, this is my first semester on the Hill, primarily interested in energy policy and love learning more all about salmon and the environment here in this office. Great. All right. My name is Emily Jordan. Um, I am a junior at the George Washington University, and um, I'm interested in tech policy and environmentalism. Um, and I'm excited to attend more briefings and hearings about that and work on um, projects in, in the office. All right. Like uh, my name is Nicholas Ogden. I am uh, go to Stanford University. 
and I'm interested in environmental law and uh, clean air and energy protection. All right, Nick, you want to ask the first question? Ooh, okay. What first comes to mind when you think of one of your favorite bills that you've sponsored? What first comes to mind is the opportunity I had to be in the Oval Office with Barack Obama when he uh, made permanent the National Monument designation at Point Arena Stornetta Public Lands in Mendocino County, and I was the author of that legislation. Uh, he did it by executive order, but I had moved the bill out of the house that, that eventually became his executive order. And uh, that you, you sort of imagine that when you think about being in Congress. You think about that moment when you're in the Oval Office for a signing and uh, the fact that it was with um, a president who I uh, think very highly of was, was pretty special. All right, Henry? Um, in the recent discussion regarding fisheries, it seems like there's some economic incentives for some individuals and some corporations to promote mining, whereas this might cause widespread ecological or environmental damage. My question is, are there similar economic um, forces trying to promote salmon, salmon fisheries, etc.? And if so, why aren't they more prominently heard in the discussion? That is an interesting point. Uh, we tend to think of fish and salmon and these natural resources as uh, you know, something that we have to always trade off for commercial value. Uh, and we often lose sight of the fact that there's enormous commercial value to them, uh, intrinsically and even, you know, in ways that can be monetized. So um, it, it's, uh, it's a great point, and no, I don't think there is uh, anything close to an adequate case being made for why salmon actually matter for all of those reasons. We need to do a much better job in that regard. Yeah. My question is a little less policy-based, but um, are there any interactions or members of Congress who've surprised you that you've met over the years? Yes, I mean, constantly. Uh, these are good questions, by the way, so my, my listeners can now appreciate just how smart the interns that come through our door are. Um, you know, Congress is just like any other place. Uh, you've got all kinds of different people. And sometimes you forget that from the outside. We all seem like, you know, cardboard cutout political figures, but we're, we're real people. And uh, I'm always surprised, uh, you know, when I find those, those just genuine human connections with colleagues that I had thought of, you know, maybe in some sort of a political caricature type of way. Um, I, I'd better not expose any of my colleagues in a personal or embarrassing way to give you examples, but uh, uh, suffice to say that I'm, I'm constantly reminded that my colleagues are just regular folks. Frailties and all, right? Uh, so I have some people who I serve with that are just some of the finest examples of humanity you could come across. I mean, we just buried one of them, Elijah Cummings, a couple weeks ago. He was really something special. And then I've got colleagues that are being fitted for orange jumpsuits and prison terms, you know? So uh, we got a little of everything uh, in a body of 435 members. Uh, you know, I guess that's what you would expect. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And uh, that's it for this podcast. We'll see you next time. Off the Cuff is produced by Marin's own Tales Untold Media. Our music is also local, provided by Templove. Don't miss out on future episodes of Off the Cuff. 
You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Just search for Off the Cuff with Jared Huffman.